To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Weekend Collective Politics Central that we do every Sunday between 3 and 4. Tim Roxburgh and Tim Beveridge here. And we're going to be joined in just a second by Robert Patman, the Director of International Studies at Otago University, and talking Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A couple of significant things going on. Other than that, literally every single day, there is another case of what is not just a loose description of war crimes, uh, what seems to be a, a general consensus of war crimes, where civilians are being specifically targeted, albeit denied by Russia. Um, But obviously we can't trust that. So um, in amongst all that, you also have the surprise visit of people like the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, to Kyiv. So what that says about the security situation in Kyiv and how the focus is shifting away from the capital due to Russia's inability to take that. Uh, Before we go to Robert Patman, let's have a listen to Boris Johnson expressing his admiration for the people of Ukraine. In the last few weeks, the world has found new heroes, and those heroes are the people of Ukraine. When I was uh, here just a a few weeks ago, the defense intelligence that we had suggested that the Russians believed that Ukraine could be engulfed in a matter of days, and that Kiev would fall in hours. Uh, to their uh, to their armies and how wrong they were so that's Boris Johnson speaking in Kiev where he also uh, was joined by Zelensky uh, so to make sense of all this joining us now director of international studies at Otago University Robert Patman thank you so much for your time good afternoon Tims G'day, Robert. Uh, now, look, there seems to have been a steady stream of European leaders making their way. I think I might have even seen uh, even uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, in visiting yep. as well. I mean, how risky uh, are such meetings uh, as the one we've just seen between uh, Boris and uh, Volodymyr Zelensky? Well, they're all, they are risky, and that's why um, both uh, the Ursula von der Leyen's meeting and also Boris Johnson's visit were kept very quiet before they arrived. What are these visits showing um, not only the world, but um, Vladimir Putin? I think that uh, they're just highlighting to Vladimir Putin that not only did he miscalculate in anticipating a quick victory in Ukraine, he miscalculated in under underestimating the degree of Western solidarity with Ukraine. And there's a real poignancy about Boris Johnson going to Kyiv, because in a sense, uh, the Putin government, I mean, Mr. Putin, has, you know, Mr. Johnson was a bit of a favour of his. And uh, Mr. Johnson delivered a core strategic objective, namely Brexit, which the Russians were very keen on. And uh, in addition, uh, the Conservative Party under Mr. Johnson have taken about two million, st- uh, two million pounds from oligarchs uh, connected to Putin since 2019, when Johnson has been prime minister. But, you know, Mr. Johnson has really, if he was sort of pro-Putin, he certainly seems to have jettisoned that since the beginning of the Ukraine crisis and has been one of the strongest leaders 
in coming out and condemning Putin's invasion of uh, Ukraine. Gosh, that's fascinating. So, so do you think that Johnson has been surprised by how Putin, to Johnson's mind, has changed? Or, or would it be that Putin has not changed at all? That, that as Romney said 10 years ago, uh, you know, well, Russia is the number one quite, geopolitical foe. Let's be quite clear. I think Mr. Johnson's changed. Uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, um, uh, politically and domestically, um, the Conservative Party under his leadership and before him, under Mrs. May, had benefited from financial support from Putin's oligarchs. But I think now there is a, a reality check that Mr. Putin probably saw um, London grad, as it was called, because so many uh, Putin's oligarchs had their families in London. Um, they, I think it was a recognition that Mr. Putin believed that through supporting involvement in British politics, that they had the Brits essentially on their knees and that they could press ahead with projects like um, extending by force, if necessary, their influence in places like Ukraine. And I think, um, you know, Mr. Johnson's done, has recognised, he smelt the coffee, he's woken up, smelt the coffee and realised that just what Mr. Putin's long-term game is. And I think there's a, a recognition now amongst all the Europeans, not just Mr. Johnson, that it's going to be very difficult to coexist with Mr. Putin because it's not just about Ukraine. Mm. Mr. Putin has ambitions that go way beyond Ukraine. So uh, Boris Johnson's provi- uh, UK has provided uh, Ukraine with some heavy weaponry, uh, yes. maybe not as much as uh, is, is w- required. Was that what this meeting was about? And are there signs that there's more weaponry on the way from NATO? Yes, definitely. Um, I think yes and yes. The meeting between Johnson and uh, Zelensky was about solidarity in the, in the midst of a crisis. And also, as I say, Britain has been very active from the word go in getting right behind Zelensky's government. Um, So I think Johnson deserves some credit here. Um, He's been criticised because he's been a bit soft on Putin before. But, you know, uh, with respect to the actual invasion, he has been pretty firm. And it's been British anti-missile capabilities, which I think play quite a significant role. I mean, a number of Ukrainian soldiers... Uh, were on camera thanking the Brits for these shoulder-held anti-missile, uh, these missile uh, which can be fired from the shoulder, which incapacitated a lot of Russian tanks. Uh, we know that uh, the Javelin missile and other anti-tank missiles are on their way. As also, we also know that following the meeting of the NATO leaders last week, uh, and, and following a visit by um, Dennis, um, um, the sorry. Let's start again. Following a, a visit uh, by the Ukrainian foreign minister, mm. he, uh, that um, there was agreement to provide heavy weaponry. Now that seems to be at least armored personnel vehicles and um, increasing uh, heavyweight missile capabilities. You've said that the next three weeks are critical, and indeed, when you're saying critical, critical for Russia, as in it, it could be all over for them. Is, is that what you're suggesting? Well, we don't know. But what we do know is that when the two armies have been in direct conflict, the Russians have got the worst of it, surprisingly, despite uh, having tremendous material advantages. Uh, the Russians have lost a lot of, the, you know, they've, as the Pesk, Dmitry Peskov, the, the Russian press spokesman for Putin, conceded in public 
recently that they have had significant casualties. And in addition, they've lost about 15% of their armour. So, um, you know, it's going to be tough for Ukraine. They'll be outgunned again, but they are getting increasingly more support. But what they have done, I think, has demonstrated um, that they're extremely competent, they're good at deploying new technology, and they're highly motivated, and they know their landscape much better than the invading Russians. So I, I think that all that adds up to the fact that this is make or break time for Mr. Putin in the Ukraine in the next two to three weeks. And we're going to have a head-to-head confrontation in eastern Ukraine. Ukrainian authorities are urging those civilians to get out um, that can. So it's high stakes for both Ukraine and Putin's Russia in the next two to three weeks in eastern Ukraine. Uh, It's been suggested that May the 9th is an important victory day for the Russians because historically it was when the Soviets Mm. defeated Nazi Germany. Um, What's Germany's role right now in providing uh, weapons and and, and maybe reversing that, that historical precedent? Well, they've certainly stepped up their support. They've done a U-turn, um, a bit like the Johnson government, I guess, but they, the, the, the Germans were quite cautious about, unlike Johnson, they were more cautious at the beginning of the conflict. But uh, the new government, of Mr. Schultz, the SPD chancellor, has really uh, t- changed its position. Um, it has been asked to provide tanks. It's still considering that position and the British also are hesitating about providing tanks. I'm not quite sure why either Germany and British are really hesitating on that request but uh, they have um, transferred significant quantities of military capabilities they are pledged to develop uh, or or extend that into the future so I think some of the important players now in Europe are getting heavily behind um, uh, the Ukrainians. Uh, well, with all this momentum that's building from the European allies for Ukraine, uh, do you think that's putting a little more pressure on our government to maybe relent and send them some uh, send some missiles and a javelin or the in-law missiles? I'm not sure if we've got those, the Brit- British ones. But where do you think our – where are we at with our contribution? Because it looks a bit light from where I'm sitting. I agree with you. I, I think that uh, the, the government hasn't ruled out um, sending lethal weaponry to the Ukrainians – but the Ukrainian need is desperate. We've seen horrendous, the, the horrendous pictures of the impact of the Russian occupation in Ukraine, in cities like Butcher and uh, Irpin, and also Mariupol. And um, it, 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 we can't say in advance war crimes have been committed, but all the circumstances point in that direction. Mm. And I think it's we have a we have a lot of skin in this game. I mean, you know. Ukraine is an independent country, it's a democracy, and it pursues a non-nuclear security policy. It gave up its nuclear Mm. weapons in 1994. So this is exactly the situation where we, I think, should be pushing it. It's not inconsistent to give Ukraine additional uh, support, you know, providing javelins, is not inconsistent with our stance with uh, 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 having an independent foreign policy. And I I think that's probably the next step for us in the next week. We've only got about 30 seconds left. Just uh, one quick final question, and thank you so much for your time once again, Robert Patman. Uh, One one quick question, that if Russian intelligence knew Johnson was going, would they have done anything about it in your mind? Sorry, going where? Going to Kiev. If Russian intelligence Um, got, got, got the tip that that Johnson is going to you know, fly to Ukraine and chat with Zelensky, what would they have done, do you think? 
I think they would have done everything they could to to embarrass him in some way or another. Uh, you know, I think Russia has a, a vested interest in demonstrating Zelensky is a, has, is a lot weaker than he really is. I mean, one of the big frustrations for the Russians is how what how heroic uh, Zelensky has emerged as a leader, which I think has really confounded the Russian leadership. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, your insight is always greatly appreciated. Professor Robert Patman, thank Director you. of International Studies at Otago University. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. Thank you. It's Newstalk ZB at eight minutes to four. Back in just a moment.